0: Welcome to the Master Plan, a property podcast. I'm Rebecca Shackleton from Polkadot Property. And I'm Nikita Jenkin from Scouted Recruitment. Nikita and I have come together to do this podcast with a goal of unpicking the complexities and the nuances of the property industry. We want to do that by interviewing guests who will offer insights on the industry and their
1: career journeys. We're really excited to have you on this journey with us, and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way.
0: Today, we are thrilled to have Nick Sproul with us, General Manager of Social Garden. Nick has been a relentless and risk-taking explorer since starting work in property marketing in Melbourne in 2000. He's a passionate proponent for knocking down barriers between marketing and sales, a lover of data and creativity, and a believer that brand and digital should coexist in harmony. Nick's not afraid to push back on how things have always been done. Nick has worked for and with brands including Lendlease, GPT, Stockland, Avid Property Group, Mervac, Fraser's Property, Metricon, Porter Davis, Simmons Homes, Satterley and Lifestyle Communities. Over the past six and a half years, Nick has worked for Social Garden, a progressive and innovative property performance marketing agency. Nick, good morning. morning. Welcome.
2: Thank you.
0: So we thought a really great place to start this morning would Mm -hmm. be talking about your career journey to date and and what you've been doing. We heard a little bit about it in the Mm intro, but talk us through it.
2: Yeah, as I said in the intro, it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster. I think the biggest one for me is that I've jumped around. Um I've been client side, agency side, big agency, small agency, big client, small client. And it's it's definitely uh helped me get quite well rounded and have a good, good holistic view of the world.
1: Yeah. Nick, can, can you um take us back to the start? I mm-hmm. want to talk about your journey from I guess your more junior roles yeah. and and junior positions, and then how you got to being the general manager of, yeah. um, you know where you are today.
2: Yeah, for sure. So my very first role straight out of beauty was in a grad program for lend lease. Uh, I actually studied in retail, so shopping center marketing, uh, which was a whole different world. So uh, that,
1: when you did your degree, was that like a um, a subset? When you say you studied,
2: sh- I studied like pure pure marketing and did. I did actually. My my undergrad was journalism, uh, property uh, marketing, and then I went and did a masters many years later as, as well in marketing. So yeah. eight years in undergrad. Uh, so twenty seven is when I actually graduated. Yeah. So
1: so when did you move into the grad program? Was that yeah. after that time?
2: It was. Yeah. So I started with Len Lease. I was assistant marketing manager at Dandenong Plaza, <laughs> and literally it was about you know,
1: humble beginnings standing on. It was
2: doing things like. Uh, printing out course direct uh, directories for the shopping centre. Lots of flyers. Sending out flyers, doing letterbox drops, like the absolute bare bones basic stuff. But it was uh, it was an interesting place to start.
1: And then how long were you there for?
2: Um, the great thing, I was at Lendley's for six years, um, but it was good because I was able to jump. every. I did EPI role for a year. So I worked in six different shopping centres, uh, one per year for six years right across Melbourne and ended up um, as the marketing manager of Melbourne Central. Amazing. And
1: that's just before I met you Correct. at Stockland where Correct. we worked together.
2: That was literally exactly, it yeah. uh, would have been a year after I um, switched to Stockies after yeah. that role.
1: So what was the reason for switching from then to Stockland? Um, honestly, and when you say switching, were you approached? Did you apply? No, completely you just... me. Uh,
2: I actually resigned in my performance review, wow. which was a, a big life changer. Um the, the, the big difference with retail marketing is it's so cyclical. So everything's the same. There's Christmas, there's Easter, there's school holidays. It becomes like a never-ending cycle of the same thing. And yeah. I got to the point after six years where I felt like I'd learned as much as I could learn. Uh, I wasn't really progressing in a way I wanted to. And it's a pattern of my career. I've just gone, I'm just going to take a risk and jump and yeah. just do something I guess, completely different and I always like liked the property side and that was an area that I wanted to kind of scratch. So, I uh, took the opportunity and made the jump.
1: Can I um, ask, the role at Stockland, Yeah. so that was, started out quite junior or what no, was your position? No, actually,
2: um, by that time I was, you know, six years into my career and I had a lot of kind of I guess, runs under my my belt. So I actually jumped in as a regional marketing manager for Stockland uh, and I was specifically looking after a project called Highlands. I was responsible for the relaunch of that community. Uh, Stockland had just acquired it from another developer. So I kind of came in with the, I guess, the direction to manage the rebrand, manage the relaunch, get it operational on the ground, um, work with a an increasingly growing team to kind of execute on it so that was a pretty daunting experience for someone who was kind of coming into a space i hadn't had track record in that i do now and um but i knew branding and i knew how to kind of operate in that space so that was uh that was a big step up.
1: Going into that interview with Stockland and and only having that retail experience. Do you think there was a positioning that you took with um you know your interviewees as as to why you would be the right person for that kind of role because it is a bit of a transition. Yeah.
2: Well, look the good the good thing was I had just my last role was working on the um, the redevelopment of Melbourne Central and the rebrand of Melbourne Central, so Literally taking it from what it was to a shell, and then like doing a whole rebrand and repositioning. So I've just done that for the last eighteen months, and I think you know, the, as Beck would attest to, the the logic and the structure of how you do that remains the same. It's just applying it to a different industry. I think having someone who understood that process was quite compelling. But I also, I'm a big believer in the kind of recruitment processes, like. You can teach skill, but you can't teach attitude. You can't teach demeanor. And I think for them, I probably ticked those boxes and and I knew I could pick up the rest.
1: Yeah, great.
0: And then thinking, Nick, about your first experience with property marketing, Mm -hmm. being Highlands, massive project, really important project in the stock and portfolio, what would have shifted from the strategies and the thinking that you applied Back then? Mm-hmm. So that would have be been about 16, 17 years ago? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> um, to now, if Stopman approached you now and said we want to freshen up a campaign for Highlands, what would be the approach and how would that have differed from yeah. the first iteration?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think the biggest thing that's massively changed from then to now is that, and you'll hear me rabbit on about this all the time, is that the, the customer's in control of the research journey now. So you know back at that 16 years ago, um, the level of information on the internet was only just starting to come up. You know, people could really, if they wanted to do their research, they had to speak to the sales consultant. So, the whole journey was like, how do we get people to the sales environment as quickly as possible? Because then the sales consultant can fulfill all their information needs. Whereas now, 80% of the research it is done online, and so it, it fundamentally changes the whole marketing strategy for me. It's much more one of the things I always say to, to, to clients is that the salesperson is more of a navigator now, not a driver. And so it becomes a very different uh, relationship and the, the balance is quite different. So that would change my marketing approach.
0: And in terms of the sales professionals that are selling lots of land or apartments mm-hmm. or um, or built rent, as an example... What do you think the shift in skill set is from when it was very much driven by the sales professional to now when a lead comes in a lot more qualified because of the amount of information they've been yep. able to access prior to having the initial conversation?
2: Um, I think that for me, it's the barriers have really broken down between marketing and sales. I think when I reflected back on my career, one of the things that I wish I had done more was get closer to the sales journey. Uh, I feel like... As a younger marketer, I was way more worried about brand and how things looked and felt, and you know, was I doing my job of generating interest? And then I kind of switched off at that point. Whereas now, if I was going back, I think there's you've got so much more data and insights to leverage to personalize the experience. That um, if I was going back into a client side so well, I'd be burying myself in the data and understanding the sales journey and walking hand in glove with the salesperson to really present a united front. So I'd, I'd be way more down the sales end, whereas. Before, not going to not going to lie, I was much more of a, like a purist marketer and, and didn't really think sales,
0: which is such an interesting journey and such an interesting shift because I've seen it as well. And you know, as marketers, as property marketers, we are so focused on who the customer is, who mm-hmm. the market is. Uh, but sometimes you tend to just read that off a spreadsheet rather than going spending time in the sales office, spending time with the sales team and really having that collaborative approach Absolutely. and ensuring that because then, you know, they're the people that are meeting new people every day mm-hmm. and um, and they can provide a lot of insight to marketing teams. So I agree and I think it's really important that those two functions work really, really closely together. Yeah. Handing love, as you said, I think is a perfect way to put
2: it. Yeah, I think um, you yeah, one of the things that I've really learned in my time at Social Garden is just how, how marketing sales alignment is just so critical that if, if one is not doing its job, then we're not delivering the result, which ultimately you measure success by revenue and return on investment. So if, if the teams aren't aligned, you're never going to get the outcome you can when they are. Mm, absolutely.
1: So, Nick, after Stockland, you were there for a few years and then you went uh, to a couple of agency roles. What was the reason behind that choice?
2: Um, Well, that was when Beck and I were working together at Stockland and um, I think I'd reached a point in my career where I, I wanted to kind of Enter the dark side, so to speak, of like, well, what happens on the other side of the marketing equation? So
1: it um, is that light and dark, isn't it? Agency compared to client yeah. side, especially in marketing. There's yeah. such a um, assumption about one yeah. and then the other, vice versa.
2: Yeah, I think people always like they're either put as like you're a client person or you're an agency person. And um I, don't know, I just I when I speak, I think one of the things that really prompted me was every time I met with agency people there they're always like the the cool person you want to hang out with. You know, they've got, in, it's interesting ideas and there's just lots of interesting stuff percolating around and it just drew me into that the more I met with good agency people. Um, and, you know, that that just got me to want to like, you know, I could stay in my corporate role and I could earn my good salary and, you know, kind of work in that space. and uh, Or I could just, you know, like there was a point where I'm like, if I don't round out my skill set, I'm always going to be a one one-dimensional yeah. marketer. So that was really driving another
1: me. one of those risks.
2: Yeah, just a that bit of a
1: pattern here. Risk a pattern. Taking. <laughs> You'll see
2: a pattern coming out for sure. Um, and I just thought, you know, like I could keep doing this, and you know, and, you know, I, you know, this would be fine, and I could keep rolling with this, or I could take the risk. And I, at the time, I was single, I didn't have any debt, there was no reason why I shouldn't take the jump. So I just
1: was the there jump. a bit of a salary drop as well. Is this that big yeah,
2: one? Not only I left without a job to go to. I went traveling for eight weeks, I came back and uh, used my networks and connections that I made and over the, my time at Stockland and in other roles and reached out to people and uh, was lucky enough to, I guess, land a role via a connection in a very small, uh, at the time, uh, boutique agency called Grenade, who are you know pretty much 100% property work. Um, so Ben Buxton, who owned the agency, is part of the Buxton family, which um, Beck will know is one of the kind of property royalty in Melbourne. So I kind of jumped in, went from Stockland suit every day to working in an agency of four people.
1: And do you think it was probably one of the best decisions you've ever made? Yeah, Other was. than
2: missing me terribly, of course. That goes without saying. <laughs> um, it, it was because it got me way out of my comfort zone. It made me super uncomfortable. Uh, it made me, um, you know, just, I guess, change everything I knew about how to work and how to operate. It took me six months, I would say, to adjust my ways of working to adapt to that process. And I think it's something I've always said to people who do that jump is it's going to take six months because you have to completely adjust your mindset into how- Yeah, it's how not going right. to be
1: comfortable after one week. It's
2: going, it's going to, going to feel take weird. time. It's going to feel weird. It's going to be uncomfortable. Learning is uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable. If you're not prepared to get uncomfortable, you just you stagnate.
1: And then having said all that though, you did jump back to- Uh, the private side a few years later
2: yeah so I did I did I guess a stint into quite a a small boutique agency that was doing really interesting work with really interesting boutique clients and then I I was and then I jumped to Hoyne which was a bigger agency in a group account director role working that's where I kind of got exposed to brands like Mervac and kind of bigger broader I guess clients that I was more used to working with the client side Um, and yet I guess had more of the classic agency experience of doing heaps of pitching and working crazy hours and um, really, I guess pushing myself. But the big change factor for me was uh, my first daughter was born, and I kind of had to make a life decision there of what comes first, family or work, and yeah. it was always family. So that was where client life became much more palatable to me because um, agency life is is a roller coaster. It can be a roller coaster in certain agencies. Um, but it was at a point where I'm like, I need to be, a, I want to be there as a dad. I'm I'm not going to compromise on that. And that was why I made that shift.
1: And then can you tell us how Social Garden came about?
2: Uh, yeah, I can. It was, it's actually a really cool story. So um, when I was at Avid Property Group, we were kind of looking at opportunities. I think as most marketers were at that stage that there was only such a precious few digital channels that you could use to go to market, and you know, like the realestate.com that they use, the domains. And I wanted to, I was always questioning, like, what else is out there? Like, what more can we do to speak to audiences? And Social Garden, one thing I liked, Social Garden kind of came up on the radar because the business development guys working there, as Beck will know, are legendarily like, will kick the door down until they get a meeting with you. So I met with the guys, and um, you know, love the energy, love the From idea. From
1: like, you were a client. I was a client. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, met with the team, and the more I got exposed to them, so we actually bought the monitor as at Avid to do lead generation across all the campaigns at the time. Um, and the more I got exposed to them, the more I liked them. Like uh, Mike and George, who owned the business, they so were young, super enthusiastic, super optimistic, full of energy, and I just loved the vibe. Like I love their passion. I liked that they were pushing the envelope. Trying different things, pushing back against some of the, I guess, more conservative views about property and what can and can't work, and basically just reached out them said, "Hey, if you want a property person on your team, I'm your I'm guy." I'm ready to go. Yeah, you I'm, I'm your guy. Falling over to get you out. Uh, look, we we built a good relationship yeah. by that point, and it was definitely um, perfect timing for me because they were kind of looking for that someone with that layer of expertise to help grow the business. So it was one of those classic kind of kismet situations where their need and my desire met at the right time Um, and you know that was a huge jump for me because I went from working with um, you know uh, I guess you know a diverse range of people to like a super young team um, you know someone an agency which was still building out systems and processes and um, you know all crammed in one small space in Cremorne uh, on Green Street and uh, I just loved it I just the energy was awesome it was again super uncomfortable and weird and I felt out of place for a good six months, and but just found my groove and just absolutely loved it. It was just such, such a new uh, lease on energy in my career and it gave me that jolt into being excited again.
0: So, Nick, thinking about the, and I'm going to age both both of us here, but thinking about 20-plus years in property, yeah. what's your favourite project that you've worked on?
2: There's a couple, actually, because I thought about this after we kind of uh, spoke about this last week. There's been two that were really kind of big aha moments for me in my career. Um, one was not that long ago, actually, was a um, project called The Leopold, which is an apartment building on St Kilda Road that Beck Property Group did. Um, the reason why it stood out to me was there was a gentleman by the name of Barry Shepard who worked there who was the sales manager, been around in the game for a long time. And he really introduced the concept of theatre for me into marketing and one of the ways he did it that never left me was he got all of the apartment plans printed out in full like AO, massive size, Um, wanted them bare bones, no marketing information, marked with like plan, um, scuffed them up a little bit, hang them on bulldog clips because he said, I want people to feel like it's an off-market experience. I want it to feel like when they come in, they're looking at architect's plans. Mm. And That really stuck with me because that that whole use of theatre to kind of create that real off-market sense is something that I've really carried with me of like how do we make people feel like they're getting a unique opportunity and not just following the standard program. So that was a big one. And then the other one was um, Olivine, which is a Mervac project that I've worked on for the whole time I've been at Social Gun, so about six and a half years. Um, And that one for me was when I really saw how digital could play a role in storytelling. So we created a really great launch program for that where the positioning of the community was your story of the north. So the whole digital campaign rollout was what is the story? It's chapters. So each aspect of the brand was broken down into unique chapters and we basically every four weeks we introduced a new chapter and built the story out with unique downloads for each chapter Mm -hmm. Use that to then offset the marketing automation campaign and kind of built out this whole story. So for me, it was where brand and digital kind of coexisted together. And that to me was also a big kind of eye-opener because... I always thought you're either a brand person or you're a digital person, but like bringing them together was was huge, and that's something that's I've carried right through my time at Social Garden.
0: And I think that's a really clear demonstration of how you can create the theatre that you would get mm-hmm. in a sales environment, talking to a sales professional, yeah. but doing it through the digital customer journey that people are going on. And um, you know, we've spoken at length about this, but the importance of having that story told really elegantly mm-hmm. and eloquently um, throughout the entire journey from the very first time somebody comes across your project is really important. So that's Absolutely. a nice connection of theatre and, and digital. Mm-hmm. So that diving into Social Garden a little bit, and I think it would be really interesting for our audience to hear kind of the basics of, of yep. what you do and so yep. many different ways that the industry speaks about yep. leads and... Um, and it's, it's always and changing and too. It's, it's ever-evolving. I feel sorry for um, young people coming into the industry because everyone speaks about
1: differently. Yep. And I, I recruit in the industry and I have no idea what you're talking about half the time. Yeah. So please tell us, give us a bit of inside information.
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll give you the classic like social garden elevator pitch first. So... um we're a performance marketing agency. And I guess how we would define that is basically not a creative agency, but do creative, not a media agency, but book media, kind of sitting in that space between where everything we do, I guess, is focused on how do we align the services we offer to the customer journey and be able to influence as close to the sale as possible and then prove what works at the back end. So, it's a combination of um you know organic content right at the top, brand awareness, lead generation, marketing automation, uh, which is lead nurture. Um, and then we have a call center as part of our service offering as well, which is all about turning those leads into qualified leads. So uh, aligning our service offering to how the property industry qualifies and converts leads and then ideally showing attribution and results at the back end so we can provide cost per sale. So going
0: back to, go to what you are just talking about, is that a secret sauce of Social Garden? Is it the function of having the call centre and actually providing a service to, to your client that is completely um, It's
2: It's one of the... F- Factors that makes us unique. I don't necessarily think it's the secret sauce because it's one of the things we've introduced that people either love or hate. And it's a classic example, I guess, of our ethos is that we want to be able to provide more qualified leads. But at the same time, and this is completely fair, some people say you're taking away from the sales function. So that's where some of the tension exists between marketing and sales. It's like how how is marketing kind of eating into the sales role? Whereas to me, it's like it's a moving kind of space. But I think the secret sauce is more that it's more in the space of two things. One, being able to provide like a lead to sale conversion rate and a cost per lead outcome by channel, even by creative, because that provides real uh, clarity for marketers on what's working and why. And then the other part is just the volume of insight and learning that's provided through the process, which is giving people regular qualitative input on, is my marketing working and is it not? And which messages resonate and which aren't? Mm-hmm. And I know from speaking to the marketers, that's the stuff they love, whereas maybe the sales, the general managers, the development managers, they love the ROI. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the blend of both.
0: I've straddled both marketing and sales. Um Director roles, and I would I would definitely think that having the opportunity for my team to engage with a lead who's already been qualified is a huge benefit. Absolutely, because the amount of times we've all sat in sales meetings and we've said, "Okay, cool, we had forty leads for the week, yeah, couldn't connect to ten of them." another 10 of them we spoke to and they had no idea what we were talking about yeah. so it really it makes the, the time that your sales team are using more productive because yeah. they don't need to go through that that process of qualifying people and getting in touch with people and I think that if, as, a, as a sales and marketing director that would definitely be something yeah. that um, that would be a huge benefit yeah, for it's, me it's, and I I understand the kind of the concern but, but yeah I think that it, it provides huge benefit
2: yeah and look we literally started the call centre for the exact Reason you're talking about, which was we generate a lot of leads. Uh, we'd hand them over, and then we they'd be like, oh no, we just couldn't get them on the phone. So we literally got one guy with a phone, sat him in a room and said to a client, We will call 100 leads for you for free, and let's see how many appointments we can get. And we realized pretty quickly that it's all about speed to recall. So the faster you get people on the phone, the more likely they are to answer it, the more likely they are to take the next step. And so we just, we did that, the test case worked, and then we turned it into a whole business. So it literally went from a guy in a room with a phone to a, a fully integrated technology driven, um, manageable part of our business where we have a team of up to 10 people operating, running that. So that as a business, that's what we've kind of always done, which is run at the fence and see what happens. Mm. And, you know, like make mistakes, learn and grow and not be afraid to try things and fail.
0: And I'm interested in the evolution of Social Garden over the last six, seven years yep. and, and where it was when you started compared to where it is now. And also really want to kind of get into what does the future look like for your business? Mm. How is technology going to impact what we're doing yep. as marketers, as salespeople? What will the impact of AI be? Chat GPT, we are chatting about the yep. other day. Hugely interesting topic.
2: Mm. Yeah, look, I think uh, the, the evolution of the business. So when I joined, there was probably just over twenty people in the team. Um, I think where we've evolved to is at that time we were that classic scrappy startup who was kind of you know breaking down walls and doing things differently, and we were doing lots of um, lots of pilot campaigns and you know getting wins and lo- losing things and kind of you know really just trying to find the space. Whereas now um, we have. Really long-standing relationships with a, a really great group of clients. We we're very much like a trusted member of their team. We built partnerships, so we're a lot more established as a brand. Uh, and um I think off the back of that, now that we've kind of got that established base we're just we're diversifying into different markets. So um we're doing a lot more in the organic content space, we're doing a lot more in the um you know e-com space and kind of just I guess understanding that we don't want all our eggs in one basket, and so. A classic reason why we do property and higher education, for example, is as everyone knows, the property market right now is incredibly challenging, but education's very hot. So, mm-hmm. it's about that kind of diversification of offering. And as over time, that's been probably the biggest shift is is trying to stay ahead of the technology curve. So, as you said, Beck, like chat GPT, which is if people haven't heard of it, they will be very shortly. Guys,
1: can you explain chat GPT to me? Because I kind of understand, but I also have no idea. So, What is ChatGPT?
2: I will give you my, you know, evolving layman's terms version of it, but it is basically an AI-powered tool that allows you to use well-considered prompts to uh, basically curate information off the internet into usable content. So um, think about it as almost having like a virtual assistant where you can prompt it to do things and it will create those things for you. So it can do everything from as diverse as, um, website code through to copywriting, through to uh, um, pretty much, how does it do that? It, it's basically curating information off the internet, pull it, like pulling <laughs> it cool. it data. the internet. Yeah.
1: But, awesome so you know when you're at uni and you're doing essays, right, and you have to put it through, you know, so that you're like not. Co- quality score? Yeah, like so that you're not stealing other people's, yep. you know, intellectual property.
2: That's, that's an emerging issue. So literally yesterday a South Australian school has banned chat GPT as yeah, because and wouldn't it
1: be pulling parts that you haven't rephrased or paraphrased? Exactly. And there's yeah. a, a guy, I think, I believe it was Princeton in the US, has developed a platform
0: which will check copy yep. against an AI platform. So he's he's got a, a program that will check if you've written something or if you've run it through a yep. um, chat GPT or similar. <laughs> so there will be a lot more checks and balances for.
2: Because um, so it yeah. kind
1: of sounds a little bit too good to be true. It's, it's
2: a fast-moving space and I think the way the way I'm looking at it and, and we as a business are looking at it is that it's a tool that's going to help efficiency. It's a tool that's going to help scalability. It's uh, We've literally said to everyone on the team, work with it, find out how it can make your job easier. But would I sit here and trust it to write copy for me? I would sit, I would I treat it as more as a way to collate information and then run the like a, over a, it. a
1: helpful tool, not yeah.
2: the tool. An enabler. Not not like the it's like if it got to a point it where it's replacing copywriters or replacing people, that's a long way along the, down the track. But I generally think It's like it's,
1: at the supermarket you've got the like um the, you know, checkouts where it hasn't eliminated the need for human element correct. because the lady still has to come and help you every time it mucks up, but it's it's change the way we do things. We're a long way from that, yeah.
2: uh, but I would say that I think you're, you're either going to lean into it or be scared of it, and I'm definitely taking the mindset of lean into it, find out how it works, how do we how do we get value out of it, but don't take away the human angle.
0: Yeah, and the human angle will always be more emotive. So the way that I write something will be more emotive than
1: the way an, an AI platform yeah. potentially would write something. So,
2: it's, But there's multiple uses of it from... Right you said
1: something us. the other day. There was someone over, like who had,
2: look, what the, was that
1: example you the used? The
2: scariest examples oh, I've the seen. Oh, uh, And look, jump on TikTok and have a look at this because it's wild, but it can take a fully formed creative brief. Uh, so a guy I saw do one for an athleisure brand where he basically plugged in the full creative brief. Told it what the brand name was going to be, the color palette he wanted, the typography he wanted, the tonality of the language, and it spat out an entire creative concept within minutes. And so that's obviously like you know getting into some weird Big Brother space, but yeah,
1: it's a bit scary.
2: It, it's, I think it's just showing the, the capabilities of the the, the tool. Uh, and in general, with technology, like you know, it's that, you know, it's that that classic technology adoption curve where there's the early adopters and then the laggards at the back end. I think for people right now, my recommendation would be be an early adopter, have it there, look at it, use it, play with it, see how you can, I guess, incorporate it into what you do. Do I fully trust it right now? Not yet. But is it going to make my job easier? Without doubt. And so there's, I think there's multiple different ways that businesses can use it because it is going to be the next thing that radically shapes up shapes up the digital space yeah. without question.
0: And the other big trend that I think is going to become more and more um, used by marketers and particularly in the property space is user-generated content. Yes. So how do you see that as contributing to the overall marketing mix and how can a property marketer engage their audience and really start to influence their Mm. audience to be that um, that person that writes content and shares content about their brand
2: or product? Yeah, Yeah. I'll, I'll come at that from a slightly different angle. So I think the starting point for anything is how, are, how are consumers using digital content right now? And, um, you know, if you think about the volume of, um, channels that are out there right now, people are so used to scrolling through their phone, looking at TikTok, seeing content created by a variety of different people or Instagram or YouTube shorts or the, you know, people are seeing short, sharp, organic, real content that people create that feels authentic. It's not some of it is overproduced but some of it is very just like the real stuff that resonates is just the the stuff that just happens organically and you know becomes content and if you think of that as the lens of how we all use content how are we applying that into the marketing content that we're creating so people are wanting you know fun short authentic interesting engaging content
1: educational
2: educational that isn't Like heavily brand-led, I think that's the biggest shift that marketers need to make. Is that, and I've had this embedded into my DNA: is that protect the brand, look after the brand. Like everything has to be consistent, and stale. Yeah, you need to get your hands grubby. Like you need to step away from that. And um, um, profanity warning here, but um, our head of kind of organic content has a presentation that he does to brands to really kind of shake up thinking and. The theme of it is fuck your guardrails and the whole idea is stop thinking about your brand guidelines as the be-all and end-all of what you do and start thinking about, well, how are people using organic content and how do we play in that space? Mm -hmm. And that's the shift.
1: Are there any brands you think that do this very well that you can comment on or clients that you have...
2: Um, I think the ones that, you know, um, the tra- there's a lot of travel brands doing it really well. So a lot of the, um, more so like, you know, like the, the the travel aggregators, they're doing great stuff. There's some um, airlines out of the UK that are doing it really well and they're just, they're having fun. And I think that it's like fast fashion, you know, like the, the way these things move is you've got to be ahead of trends. You've got to see things as they're evolving and jump on board them really quickly. It's kind of like PR where you've got to, I guess, see opportunities and take them quickly so you need to be moving fast you need to be um, jumping on trends quickly but moving away quickly as well because much like fast fashion the cycles are shorter and shorter and they they move quickly so um you've got to be able to stay on trend and and adapt fast because 16 year olds have the you know like they move quick
1: yeah every week it's a different everything's trend just,
2: yeah. yeah so it's it's got to be um You've got to have the capacity and the team and the structure to be able to move fast and also not be afraid to um, step away from brand thinking and step into authentic thinking.
1: On that comment of the team, do you think uh, there should be a a bit of a shift in terms of um, strategically hiring people within your marketing team to facilitate this growth of of the consumer and not just I need a marketing manager who can do absolutely everything and doesn't specialise and you know you kind of what's your take on that in terms of resourcing?
2: Yeah I think this absolutely completely agree here is that marketers like the generalist marketer like bandwidth is getting wider and wider and wider and there is you know it's so hard for a marketer to try and stay ahead of everything and be across everything and be um, what's the where use t-shaped marketer it's one of I think it's you know it's like they the expectation of marketers to be across every aspect of marketing is just it's it's too hard so I think you either go one of two ways it's like um you know you you kind of expand your agency remit or you expand your team and bring in specialists who play in different spaces because there's your brand marketer there's your performance marketer there's your organic marketer there's your you know there's different places for them to be so I think that you know, the team structure does need to evolve and you can't, the, being a generalist is too wide nowadays. It's too hard to be good at everything.
1: And often it's about, you know, budgets or keeping the the salary for, you know, at a certain bandwidth. But at the end of the day, you're costing the growth of the business mm-hmm. and the sales and, you know, all of these other things on this sort of very narrow-minded view of, we have one person who does marketing.
0: And there's a big difference between a person that does marketing, a person that does digital, a person that does social, a person that does content. So there's the remit for a marketer has become so immense that it's really impossible for one person to do the same thing. But I think, from my perspective, the most important thing is understanding who your market is, understanding who your customer is, understanding what tactics are going to work for which audience. So, for example, wouldn't work for... Some families that are in the growth corridors, whereas it will for more inner city products. And, you know, so really understanding what, how are they going to consume the information that you've put out in market? How are they going to interact with the information that you've got out of market? And then, um, and how can you influence them to act? Is, and the,
1: is that yeah. something where Polkadot would come in mm-hmm. to do that initial, um, what would you call it? You're the expert. Here. Identifying the audience and identifying who the market's going to be and then ensuring that all of the channels
0: that you've got working within the marketing mix resonate with the audience that you're expecting to buy within the community?
1: So the suggestion would be, um, you know, for the the directors of the brand to sort of look outside their immediate team to get all this understanding and then obviously your immediate team would do the facilitation of that. But someone, someone like you would come in um, or Social Garden in, you know, tangent with each other um, to really work out a strategy for the brand for the Absolutely.
2: developer. Yeah, that's the baseline. As you know, mm-hmm. like you 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 kind of get the plan right and then you, you execute, but without the plan you're kind of floundering.
1: Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people floundering. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Look,
2: I think it's more We that have to be
1: real here. There there is.
2: I think it's more that the environment we're playing in is changing so yeah. quickly that there's a lag between where customers are at and where marketing like pers- efforts are at. And I think that's something that I love about with my job is that I'm kind of further ahead of the curve, so I'm kind of seeing the trend and we can move faster to adapt to the trend and then we're trying to bring clients forward to the trend.
0: And marketing and sales teams really uh very influenced by the business and the way that the business views their brand and the way that the business views their product and prices yeah. their product, and so it, it can't just re- you can't rely entirely on the marketing and the sales team to make a project successful. It's really an entire group of people that are, that are looking at it, that are working with planners, that are working with council, that are making sure that the design of the community or the apartment building is something that's going to resonate with the audience and with people more likely to um, want to come into the, a
1: building or a community. So it's it's a really large part piece of work. Uh, many hands make life work is yes. what's coming to mind. <laughs> um, Nick, to me, it seems there's a, a we talked about a theme of risk here. But yep. you, as a person, to me, uh, uh, the words are coming to my mind of innovative and um, uh, interested and engaged and and. Just to me, you seem like a really cool kind of guy, um, and that working for you would be a really fun experience. Oh, I'm going to that, right? Yes. because um, is actually the reason that I'm in Melbourne. So, oh, well, there you go. I down to Melbourne, and yeah, it was a huge amount of fun.
0: And I think with you particularly, and we did want to kind of get into the way that you manage
2: your
1: team yeah. leaderships, Leadership. Leadership. maybe some yeah advice yeah, yeah. on that yeah. because i want to work for you um, mm. right now <laughs> um
2: i think honestly one of the biggest ones is giving people space to make mistakes i guess to my point earlier one of the things i'm i really focus on with people that report to me and the wider team is not creating a fear of getting it wrong because i think To my point earlier, we're we're all on learning curves and everyone's learning curve is subtly different. And I don't want to create an environment where people are afraid to make mistakes because if they are, we're we're not giving them room to get better. We're not giving them room to evolve. We're not giving them space to be human. And to me, as a starting point, we want to give people room to get it wrong. So that's something I always impart on people that I work with and in teams is just like, I guess, empower them to go out and try things and not have them wanting to come to me and say, can you check this email? Can you um, like pressure test this for me? Because I just say, I trust you. Yeah. Go and do it. And if they get it wrong, I say, that's fine. But
1: that's empowering to know that you are trusted. Yeah. um, And people will have a greater output or perform better when they are feeling supported in that way.
0: And it also creates the opportunity to have teachable moments and that's when you Mm -hmm. can coach your team. Yeah. You can say, look, this didn't go exactly how we wanted it to, but that's okay and this is, you know, how do you think we could do it next time and, you know, so it creates those moments and... Having worked underneath you, Nick, you definitely had that. Um, you're you always thinking about coaching. You were always yeah. incredibly supportive. You were very, it was a lot of fun as yeah, well, which course. I think, um, you and I have, have always worked in, in teams and I've always tried to have a lot of fun with my team as Absolutely. well. But, um, you know, you really shaped the way that I lead people as well. So thank you for oh, that. But, pleasure. um, you know, I think, well, that
1: guys, <laughs> do
0: you want to have a little hug, a little moment <laughs> after, after, when we turn the microphones off? Um, you know, so it's, it's that, that coming from that place of um you know never judgmental always looking at what the best thing is for the person for the business for the the, the outcome and and you know i think um you did that really well
2: oh thank you yeah it's something I've, i've really and i think honestly i've gotten better at it as i've gotten older and hopefully wiser um is i think what i love about what i do now is just about giving back like i don't have that ego where i want the next role or the big thing for me it's just about paying it forward and, like, helping the next generation be the best versions of themselves. So. Do
1: you think um, your earlier career and and not chopping and changing but experiencing different environments has kind of given you that clarity and that understanding that people are different. And, yeah. and, you know, compared to someone who may have been, you know, started as a marketing assistant and now be the, you know, general manager of marketing at the one company mm-hmm. for the last 12, 15 years, yeah. I mean, those kind of situations are often when the people under them come to someone like me and say, look, I'm, you know, feeling micromanaged mm-hmm. or I'm feeling not listened to um, and, and are looking for other opportunities yeah. that original you know desire of yours to experience different things has made you and shaped you into the leader that you are now
2: yeah definitely um you know I've had like many I've probably had the good and the bad experiences, and what I've learned out of this is that culture trumps everything if if um yeah the the job can be great the role can be great um the
1: but the without, salary can be great. The salary
2: can be great, but without the great people and the, the, team. the team and, you know, the leaders driving it, it's it's a bit empty. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the reason, one of the big reasons why I've stayed at Social Garden is that I just, I love the people. I feel like I can be 100% myself. Mm-hmm. Every day I come to work, I don't feel like I have to put my, you know, emotional armour on to get me through the day, that I can talk about the things that I've done well or wrong or, or badly that like, during lockdown we the man the leadership team were very open and honest about where we were having good days and bad days and being um I guess you know being open to showing that humanity uh, a humanity and a bit of you know like I'm struggling and that's that's like as a leader you need to be a bit you know open to that yeah and I've, I've, I've always kind of worked for leaders who are a bit like you know, it's all about mental toughness and mental strength. Whereas I've kind of shown the opposite of that. I've shown weakness, and I think people have respected me more for that.
1: Yeah, it's in, it's engaging and it, it, it. I mean, I haven't known you in a long time and I'm already very emotionally connected and I'm like, I'm a big fan of Nick's role. So, it's definitely working. Yeah, so thank you. So, what's next for Nick's role?
2: Um, look, there's, I think at the moment, it's um, still super happy where I am. And I think our social garden as a business is evolving. There's lots more interesting stuff to come in the pipeline for us, um, you know, Can't do any details at the moment, but we are, as a business, kind of looking at what does the next three to five years look like and how are we evolving along with the evolution of the market. So, there's going to be some really great opportunities for for me in that space. So, I still see myself very much aligned to the business and growing with the business. Uh, My daughters are getting to an age now where independence is really starting to kick in. So, I think that I've kind of gone through the heavy parenting phase and I'm kind of moving into the oh, my life's coming back to me a little bit now. So,
0: can you, you tell know. me exactly what point that happens? What year, month, and day? Please, <laughs> as the parent
2: of a three-year-old. Well, my my daughters are seven and ten now, and we've gotten to point okay. where, like I can I can leave the house and like <laughs> let them be at home and you know like do things and you know have a bit of independence. So I'm reluctant. You're a cool I'm dad. Letting go. I feel like you're a cool dad. I'm a pretty cool dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have my moments, but I definitely. Uh, I definitely still like horse around with them and like play silly games and like act like a child because I'm I'm also still a child underneath. So yeah,
1: that's how I feel. Every year you get older, I think I'm still 16. Hang on to youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I absolutely. Do but, you, yeah.
1: Nick, can I ask? Do you have any advice um, or any points, um, any life changing um, points of of information that you could part on to someone who's listening, or even maybe you know a a development manager or um, someone in a marketing role or a director of a business who may not be able to afford the services of, of yep. an agency yet um, yep. and, and would like to get to that point, sort of any points over your 20-year career that you think within property is some really great wisdom?
2: Um, oh, there's been lots of different points. I think, um, you know, the, kind of what we are talking about before is like finding a great leader to work with. That you, I've had probably not enough mentors in my career I've really had someone I can turn to I think I've had to forge my own path a lot um and so I, I think when I have had a couple of good leaders in my career I've really gravitated to those people um so I think that you know Don't be afraid to forge your own path if you need to, but also find mentors early, like find people that you can really learn from and trust. And um, if you're not getting that within your role, push for it. Yeah. Um, Because I look at like Mike and George who I work for now. When I started working for them, they were 24. But the smart thing they did that I've really latched onto is they have always been humble enough to look at other people and ask for help. So they're constantly out there speaking to business leaders, um, finding people further down the journey that they can suck information from and learn from and like gather that and never be too proud to think I- I've got this because I'm smart. Or
1: that you know everything.
2: Yeah, exactly. So one thing that I think from the social garden DNA is that everyone in our team is very humble. We don't have egos. We don't have people who think they know it all because, you know, just when you think you know it all, there's a new hill to climb. So I think go out there, seek mentors, find people that you can learn from, do it in a diverse way um, and synthesise all of that into the best version of you. So one of the things I always say to, to my team is don't copy me. Like take elements from me, take elements from others, but find the version of you. So make yourself the best version of yourself. Don't emulate others. Just kind of be like a bowel bird and collect information on the journey, but make it the best version of you.
1: Good advice. Yeah. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go out and do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's look, it's it's been something that I've like I had the absolute pleasure of um, spending some mentoring time with Simon Reynolds, who Beck may know as one of Australia's like big, well-known ad men. Um, you know, Mike and George were paid for me to do like a, an ongoing training session with him, and. That was the thing that really resonated with him. But even someone like him, who's like way further up the you know chain than I am in terms of his experience, he seeks mentors. He finds people. He's looking for information. And so, it's never be too proud to think you know everything, because there's always people out there you can learn from and grow from.
1: Yeah, eternally growing
2: and eternally learning. Always, always. That's why that's one of the reasons why I've changed jobs so many times because I just want to keep learning.
1: Well, this re- relates back to, I guess, also being open. To change Correct. and to moving on, and potentially, if there is a role that you're in that it, there are boxes that aren't being ticked, mm. or there's you're not feeling motivated and fulfilled and educated, being okay to make a change yeah. and uh, and take the risk. Absolutely, yeah. you calling think, it's Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, my phone number will be along shortly.
2: <laughs> Insert plug here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I look. I, I think people can get um, trapped by. Salary and trapped by you know the the trappings of having the the title or the salary or the role and
1: which at the end of the day means nothing. It means
2: nothing. I mean, it's easy for me to say that, looking from up a higher part of the hill, you know, speaking to an account executive or a, an assistant marketing manager. And I think for people in that early stage, that that is important. And it was for me, but I think it's like money comes and goes. Like
1: it's a long game. It's not a short game.
2: Yeah, play the long game. Like you know, just you know, don't be afraid to take risks, when, especially when you're young when you know now that i've got kids and i've you know got the mortgage and all that bit like my ability to take risks is a little bit more reduced but mm. take more risk when you're young and like i think people classic one of the one of the team said to me yesterday like oh, i don't want to go up move after six months because it's going to look bad on my resume and i've just never thought like that
1: no like in six years time no one's looking at no one cares six years ago where you were for six they months don't.
2: and i i would rather just take risks and try different things and and learn and grow, grow. not just to your point, like just don't climb the ladder in one role because there's a lot of people in the industry who've done that Mm -hmm. and I think it's... It's
1: detrimental to others. uh, to It's only one aspect. Um, Beck, can you comment um, and Nick, time in uh, some advice maybe for people who are looking to bring on an agency um, and around this sort of digital and lead generation and um, these pillars of, of marketing? Do you have some advice on... What kind of agency, Poked on property, um, <laughs> social garden to engage, or, or how they would go about that, or what they need to have? What ducks do they need to have in, in their road to then yeah. bring you on just, board?
0: Just get get consultancy and get people in to have the initial conversations, and from from that point, we'll be able to kind of tease out what you actually need as a business and make recommendations about what types of strategies um, you know you need to look at having in place, what kind of partners you should be bringing on, and really. Um, you know, all of that, all of that thinking and all of that work is leading to the same outcome, which is, as Nick said before, pretty revenue focused. So, you know, we want to get people through sales offices. We want to get deals done and, um, and using the right consultants. Upfront front and early on in the journey is really going to support that and support the, the success of the project going forward. So I think just, you know, get people in and have a chat. That that would be my advice. And then we can, we can go from there. Every developer is going to have different needs. So developers might bring Polkadot property on to do the initial strategy for a new project. They might get us on to do a, a review and a health check on a project that's in market that may not be performing as well as they want it to. There's lots of, there's a myriad of things.
1: It's good to, to have, have an outside perspective. Right, Because when everything's so insular, um, you're driven by the brand guidelines Mm -hmm. that you said to throw away earlier. You can miss what someone else might be seeing.
0: And the benefit of someone like myself or someone like Nick, we've gone through... Various market cycles. So we've gone through challenging markets before. We know what works in a in a downturn market. We know you know what are the levers that you need to pull. And there's probably quite a lot of marketing teams at the moment that have only ever worked in a high performance market. So mm-hmm. where there's been you know, huge volumes of people coming through with really little effort and, and little focus on on marketing and, and lead generation. So engaging people that have got that experience is really going to help set the project up for success.
2: Cool. I think just to add a couple of points to that as well would be don't make it transactional. Uh, mm. I think one of the things I've learned over my career is that where the kind of agency-client relationship doesn't work well is that if it's just seen as like a, a like a short period of time, bring someone in, get an outcome, walk away. It's like where 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 it becomes more of a like a transactional based relationship. It just it doesn't work. Uh, and I think the other one is. Um, Again, don't be afraid to get it wrong. So you you kind of gotta go in there and um, you know, learn and grow as a as a team. It's that's you know, that kind of make it make it human, make it a team thing, understand you're gonna make mistakes, manage expectations. But I think for me, like I've always worked on the mantra is like we're human first and it's like the, the clients I love working with and the agencies I've love working with is when I like the person that I'm engaging with. So yeah. it's the human connection that matters at the end of the day. It's not a transaction, it's actually like a I like you. You like me. We trust each other. We work together. It's
1: relationships. Recruitment is the same. My favourite clients are those who I can have a joke and a laugh with, and I intrinsically want to help them. Mm. Um, Not that I, I mean, I want to help all my clients, but I will go above and beyond. I will go above and beyond. Is exactly that um, for those that you have a really positive relationship with, because we are all we're all trying to do the you know the right thing and a good job and do our job well at the end of the day. Yeah, we're all here to do well and be happy.
2: Absolutely. be successful
1: any final thoughts
2: um i i think the final thing for me is like i feel like there's a common theme in here from what i've been saying is that um take risks make mistakes get it wrong be human be human you know that's that's the thing it's like i think don't be afraid mm. just try try different things be uncomfortable you know I always say to my team, get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: One of my favourite sayings, and I don't have this as a tattoo yet, but I it's may, yeah, it's on the list, is feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. That's my favourite thing. Mm-hmm. It's like things are scary. Everything is scary. And and as a confident person, often people will think you don't feel fear or you're not Everyone apprehensive. Does. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. But you, you feel it. You push through. You yeah. keep
2: going. I think, you know, a lot. Of classic thing with younger marketers particularly is everyone's afraid of public speaking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I say to the guys, just reframe it as excitement. Yeah, so Such your, good advice. nervous
1: yeah. energy. A, like
0: it's that was a game changer for me in public speaking, was yeah. changing the, the nervous energy into actually I'm really excited. Because you can and you know what, everyone in the audience wants me to do well. Yeah. I think it was the other kind of key insight with that because I was previously, you know, in Stockland Day is really nervous to get up mm. and speak in front of people and you know and I've been able to to evolve and to shift that. Yep.
1: So well based Be- of- you knew when we came in this morning, like I was very nervous and I'm nervous to do this. We're doing a podcast. Are people gonna like okay. it? Are people gonna to listen and feel like we know what we're talking about but feel the fear and do it anyway exactly
2: yeah, yeah that's definitely i like that one as well
1: yeah it's a good yeah. one well thank you pleasure. Nick, for your time
0: and your energy it's just such a pleasure talking to you and i think we could probably sit here and talk for another hour but we probably um probably should wrap it up thank you thanks
2: thanks guys Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you also to our sponsors,
1: Polkadot Property, a small but mighty marketing consultancy connecting people to place. And Scouted, your go-to for property and construction recruitment. To scout is to seek, to be scouted is to be found. Also a big thank you to Central House for letting us use their beautiful podcast studio. If you'd like to get involved, you can reach out to Nikita and I at the Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.